0: The United States of America, home of the brave. A place that is filled with different cultures, diversity, beautiful scenery, a place I call home. But one thing many people may not know about the USA is the artisans, craftsmen and women, photographers, musicians, creatives, makers of all sorts that come with this beautiful country. Many people tend to buy products from major online retailers that they forget about the make that is happening right here in America. From the Industrial Revolution and even prior to that time period, America has continued to build its economy through makers, and there are thousands of them. America has makers that forge steel to make knives and axes, sew skirts, hats, and handbags with materials of all sorts, paint and capture visuals that are forever in your home and carried in your heart share stories through music and writings, make special treats and refreshing beverages, and much more. Join me through the journey through the lives of makers across our country to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Kristen Vermeule and this is Makers of the USA. Welcome to the Makers of the USA Main Series. Throughout the month of September, I will be sharing stories of artisans that are part of the Big Reveal Project that is led by the Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. If you'd like to hear more about this project, please tune in to the episode with Maggie Krongy, where we talk about the museum and more details about the Big Find and Big Reveal Project and the big event happening October 8th. On this episode, I chat with Stephen Maccini, a lapidary artist and jewelry designer. Now, when I first looked up Stephen online, I saw his website URL and it said Stephen Tyler the designer. I thought, wow, how cool would it be if this was the lead singer of Aerosmith? I mean, come on. (laughs) Of course it wasn't. But I have to say, after talking to Steven, I think he is certainly the Stephen Tyler of jewelry design. He converges art with science and his creative vision unites with thousands of hours of technical mastery. At the intersection of these threads, Stephen weaves an ever-expanding web of treasures. He crafts his pieces out of his home studio in Salem, Massachusetts. He seems to have a thirst for experimenting and playing around with different materials and gems. He thoroughly enjoys bringing joy and amazement through his work as he continues to explore and grow into new territory. I love this quote which states, every day there are some something new to envision, discover, and bring into reality. And Steven certainly lives by this as he honors the other fine jewelry artists that surround him as he learns from them and appreciates the craft they bring to the table as every artisan puts forth their own style. It was even hard for Stephen to describe his style when speaking to him. And that's okay. Every artist is different. And that's what I find so fascinating by talking to each of these artisans that are part of the Big Reveal Project. Now again, before we get into this interview, I wanted to be fully transparent to say I mentioned Maine gem and Min- Mineral Museum a ton throughout the series, and the museum is actually called Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. I guess it flows off my tongue better, but wanted to make sure all listeners know it is Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. Now let's get to it. Let's talk craft, the craft of fine jewelry with Stephen Machini. Hi everyone, welcome to the Makers of the USA podcast. This is a part of the Main series. I am doing a collaborative project with the Maine Mineral and Gem Museum with their big find and reveal event that's happening early October, and I am speaking to one of the artisans today. That's a big part of the project. Steven, thank you so much for being on the Makers of the USA podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm really excited to see what everyone put together for this main event. It's going to be really, really cool.
0: I know. I'm certainly excited as well, and it seems like I've been seeing some pictures and some behind the scenes on social media. So I, I'm making sure I'm sharing that with my audience as well because I love seeing the process. But let's get to know more about you. So the first question I typically start off with is, "What is your craft, and what inspired you to start it?"
1: So that's a that's a good question. So I started making jewelry about 10 years ago. Uh, I'm 30 now, uh, so I started around like 19, and um, a friend of mine. I had no idea that I would be led down the jewelry path. Like I don't have any family that's really ever done jewelry. Um, I have some family that maybe has done some art stuff, but nothing really as a full-time job, always as a hobby, something as like a, just a creative craft. But Anyway, a friend of mine brought home uh, a wire-wrapped piece of jewelry from a music festival uh, when I was 19, and um, I was working full-time at the time, and I was really excited to, to see it because uh, I was I wanted to go back to school for biology, I was really, you know, interested in that realm of things. That was kind of the path that I was on, like, oh, all right, I'm going to work a little bit, go back to school, learn more about biology, and maybe become a doctor or something at some point, or, you know, I wasn't really sure what to do. But my friend brought home a piece of wire-wrapped jewelry look like a anatomical heart, which I thought was really cool. It got me really interested with the biology stuff. And I was like, oh, where did you get this? He's like, oh, I brought it home from the festival. And uh, then I was like, where can i get one because i also want one of these and he's like oh well you can't and i was like oh well now that's a challenge and i have to figure out either if i can get one or i decided just to start making them um so one day when i was at work i left uh, at the end of the day i actually think i i left a little early that day because i just didn't want to be there and uh i end up getting some rocks and some wire at michael's and a little stone store local to, to milford new hampshire and um end up just started to wire wrap. And it was really, you know, something I was doing in my spare time. And as I started doing it more and looking more online and I wasn't really able to find a lot of people doing it, but I found a couple of really cool, interesting styles and started just trying to to mimic it and figure out how to to do these very interesting styles of wire wrapping. And then people started buying them and I was like, oh, I could, I can sell these. And then I started just posting online pretty consistently on like Facebook at the time. And then, yeah, they kind of spiraled. I just, I, people started selling, uh, people started buying them when I was making them, I was making it every day. Like I would come home from, uh, at the, you know, I, I ended up quitting my job, went to school full-time and was just making wire wraps when I was in school. Um, so every spare moment that I had, I was, I was wire wrapping and I was just creating a bunch of pieces for people to buy. And I ended up, Allowing me to not have a bunch of different part-time jobs, Um, getting my degree, I ended up getting my degree in biology, moving down to Salem and doing that, but still just continuing the wire wrapping every second that I kind of had. And uh, from there, I just, um, I graduated college, had more time. I started keep making jewelry. I took a couple of classes. Uh, My first class was at GRS for like stone setting and engraving. Um, from there, uh, with Todd Daniels. Shout out to Todd Daniels. He's great. So with the stone setting and engraving class at GRS, it really allowed me to have a better vision for the more advanced styles of jewelry um, past wire wrapping. So So I did wire wrapping for about five years, and then I moved on to other styles of jewelry like uh, learning fabrication and soldering, learning how to just cut and mold sheet metal. Um, I started carving wax and, and getting those cast. Um, I don't personally do the casting. I do a lot of work out of my apartment. So I send castings out to, to a casting house and then uh, I'll get it back and clean it up usually. So then I started doing, doing wax carving and fabricating. I learned stone setting and engraving at GRS. And then from there, uh, a couple of years after that, I ended up taking a CAD modeling class for ZBrush and learned I found this program called Shaper 3D on my iPad that I do a lot of designs from now, which is a lot of fun. Um, so I, I'll 3D model and then 3D print the piece, um, do a lot of test settings, and then send those out to casting companies for, uh, to get the metal back unfinished to finish up. Um, so that's kind of where my skills have progressed towards now. And the latest one now being uh, stone cutting. Uh, I can do lapidary and stone cutting work. I learned from my friend, Nolan Sponsler, who's a great artist and teacher. And then uh, the stone cutting work uh, really allowed me to have a more complete vision for the pieces I can make. Because now I don't have to search for stones. I can make them on my own. And uh, I also really love doing pavé. Took a really great pavé class at New Approach School um, with Jason Fava. And that really allowed me to have a better vision for the, the pave landscape in metal, and and that's something that I really like to bring to the table now as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a shortish segment of the past 10 years of starting to to now. So it's been a lot of interesting ups and downs in that in that. Uh, that realm of time.
0: Yeah, I'm sure and you're only 30 years old.
1: Yeah, so I just wow. turned 30 August 20th. Um still still feel young but also feel like I'm getting older. So it's it's good though.
0: You're definitely young. Oh my goodness. Like you've done so much in regards to building up your skill set, the many pieces that you've created. Is this your full-time job?
1: Yeah, so it's been my full-time job really since 2013. Um, that's when I I quit my job with the wire wrapping, realized that this could allow me to have a better... Um, you know, better hold on on my life. Like, I feel like if I didn't find jewelry at such a young age. There's definitely a bunch of little trouble I could probably get into, especially 21, going to college, drink, people drinking all the time. Like, I really, I you know, I don't really drink a lot. It's not really something that I enjoy just because it doesn't allow me to keep doing the work that I want to do. And that's something that um finding the passion for something that you really enjoy at a young age really helped me, like, stay out of trouble and and get a lot of work done uh, within that time frame. But yeah, it's I don't know, definitely a labor of love in that way.
0: I'm sure. That's amazing that you um are so passionate about your craft and how you want to continue to improve on that. What would you say is your style? Like what makes you different with all the other, you know, artisans and jewelry makers out there?
1: That's that's a good question. I I really like, you know, something that's inspired me throughout my time of i guess making jewelry is like the visual arts community and by that like um i don't quite know how to describe it like there's there's a lot of psychedelic art that i've definitely been inspired by um the first half of me making jewelry was me traveling to different music festivals and meeting people in person with me just uh, I didn't really like to do vending boots a lot of the time because I don't really like to stay in one place when I have my jewelry. I like to meet and connect with people. So I would be walking all over these different festivals just yelling, hey, I have shiny rocks. Who wants to look at them? And then people would come to my case and be like, oh, these are really cool. And I'd, I'd make a decent living that way during like the summers and stuff. And then uh, during Christmas and stuff, obviously the holiday season is great. Um, but it just, I don't know, I just really uh, enjoyed progressing in in all, all. i i i I, don't know, I just get really passionate about the jewelry and where it comes from and the people that inspired me um also a lot of my friends have inspired me throughout the years like uh all these different artists that make jewelry that i've been able to connect with online um and now have met in person just by traveling to now jewelry events rather than festivals um, and in traveling to those different jewelry events I've been able to meet like Matt Fisher or Matt Tuggle who are now friends of mine and fantastic artists who I'm also inspired by and there's just been a lot of different bits of inspiration like I know one thing I'm also really inspired by I guess too um, is just the process of the art um, I don't usually tend to look for inspiration in everything I just try to find some inspiration in the process as well. Um, especially on those days where maybe I don't want to be sitting at the bench and I'm like, but I have to get this project done. So I, I start a little bit and then I'm like, okay, this, I, I find the groove and the vibe again. And and that allows me to uh, create, but I guess as far as like my style is um, it would be more like a visual artist style. Um, it's kind of hard for me to describe. I'm not really sure.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you have found your own unique style and people are just gravitating towards that. And it's also, it's really interesting too, is that you're inspired by connection and, you know, really getting to know people. Cause I know some people can be super Uh, shy about their work and getting it out there. But it's amazing that you kind of treat it as you walking around meeting people and then introducing your craft and it becomes like a good conversation. So I'm like picturing that in my head. I'm like, I could see you doing that. It's pretty remarkable that you've grown that way.
1: Yeah. It's nice to be able to have the face-to-face conversation. And with people being shy too, I've definitely noticed that people have, have mentioned to me in the past, like you know, it's, it's, I don't find it brave to be at all, but people find it brave to be able to post your art online all the time too, because it leaves you very open to criticism. And that's just kind of what I've grown to do because me posting on Facebook allowed people to see it and then they buy it. And I was like, great, this is a really good transaction. It makes me feel good. People are feeling good about my art. and I never really saw like a negative to it. Um, So it just, I just post like whether you know there's some pieces that I think are fantastic there are some pieces that I finished I'm like this could be better and I could work on a little more and I will Um, but I always post all of it whether I think it's good or there or, or bad like there are some pieces where I'm like you know this maybe I don't feel this is my best work and I'll post it online and I'll have a couple you know five people be like this is my favorite thing you've ever made you know so it's that you're always overly critical of yourself and that, you know, you'll be shy because of that. Maybe you don't want to show people because you don't think it's good, but just show your art to everybody that you can, because you never really know how people are going to react and how that will inspire somebody to create, because, you know, that's what I was inspired by. I saw, I saw something that I never saw before that somebody maybe thought wasn't that cool, but I thought it was the most amazing thing. So just show it to everybody, show your art. It's really important.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I knew you were touching on process earlier and I wanted to ask you, what have been the your favorite materials that you put into a piece? What do you typically go towards when it comes to materials and figuring out that piece you're going to make?
1: <laughs> well, Honestly, more recently within the past couple of years since I've been fasting, I love main tourmaline. It's really like one of my favorite minerals. Um, and because I'm a New England boy, I've lived in New England my whole life from New Hampshire, Massachusetts, um, hopefully actually relocating to, uh, to Maine at some point, um, which would be really cool. But uh, more recently, it's been a lot of Maine tourmaline. I have uh, some really nice pieces that I'm hoping to cut within the near future as well that I've been putting in a couple of different things. Like I cut some uh, eight pieces. Of main tourmaline recently, and I put those on something, and it definitely was one of my more favorite materials to work with. Aside from the main museum project, which is I'm really excited to show everybody, but aside from you know main tourmaline, um, I've been really liking just different gold works. I didn't get to work with gold for a long time because it's so expensive, uh, but within me progressing my skills. Uh, the past two, three years, it's really been all gold works and not really much silver anymore. So I really like enjoying, I, I really enjoy working with gold and platinum because uh, the metals move really nicely when, when you're engraving them. Um, but other materials, like I, I really like diamond pave more recently because diamonds are really hard and they can take beating, which is nice. Um, but colored gemstones are, will always have like a soft spot in my heart because uh, I really like working with them. Um, I've been doing a lot of fantasy cut gemstone uh, pieces as well, just because I really like cutting them. They're fun for me. I can always do these really cool, funky patterns. So that's something that's been a more recent staple in my work. But yeah, it's just, you know, I always like to mix it up and and do a little bit of of everything. If I see something that inspires me, that sparks an idea that is different from my normal style, I'll kind of ride that out. Because uh, that, that's why I think it's a little hard for me to answer this what style in my question, because I'm I'm always trying to change it. I'm always trying to like do something a little different and figure out what that next step is and uh see if I can find something that you no know, one else has before in, in doing that.
0: Good for you and mentioning that. It kind of makes me think of like, you know, the band Green Day. I don't know if you are yeah. a Green Day fan, but you know how Green Day has like that same old kind of like vibe and tune. And it's like they don't really like branch out to other things maybe, or maybe they tried to like it would be weird. Right. But in your case, Mm -hmm. I think what I've learned about your craft and you know, what your customers really are attracted to is how you mold that into your style. So you're kind of like a jam band, like you kind of just, you know, (laughs) playing around, like doing things and you know, that's your tune. So I think that, uh, it's amazing that you're doing that and really practicing and playing around things. So I feel like having that creativity and that process in mind, it's like, it's not really a process. It's really just, you know, a flow. It's really like bringing your inner soul to life. And I think others relate to that. I mean, would you, what would you say about that? Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. And and you mentioning flow, like when I was doing uh, a lot of the wire wrap pieces, I wouldn't really draw any of those things. That would be very, they would all be very flowy and, and have a lot of movement within it. And I definitely feel like I brought that style to my current jewelry, which there's a lot of more classic styles of jewelry that I can feel that I feel are a little more regimented. And I'm trying to break out of that box and just try to find something that people haven't done. That's maybe a little weird, maybe, you know, a little too far off from the classic, but I think that's what people like about uh, my style and trying to like, I think also people, as much as people like uh, my work, they're also, there's some people that you know, following my stuff for like past 10 years. And they really like seeing that I've been trying to progress in different things um, and learning new stuff too. Like uh, I have one client that have, has also learned new things within their path because they're like, you know, you've inspired me to do this too, which is not my goal by any means, but it's a, it's a nice like additive because I'm just trying to work on myself and figure out how to be like a better me each day. So in doing that it's allowing me to do a new thing each day cuz I also don't really like routine so me doing the same thing all the time is going to get boring. So I just like to switch it up and it's it's fun.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So speaking of new things You have to tell me how this whole project, this whole big find and reveal project that you're a part of, how it went. So first, before we get into that, how did you get involved in this project? Like, how did you find out about it? And how excited were you to be a part of this when you found out you got accepted?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I was... First of all, I was so excited and honored to be accepted to the to the main thing because a couple of months before that, I was really hunting for a bunch of Maine tourmaline, and I was able to find some, which I was really excited about. And in finding that main tourmaline, it really got me on this like, this is you know, I really want to be in this area. Being from New England, I was really inspired by this area in their gemstones and minerals, and in knowing that tourmaline comes from Maine, I was like, I gotta get my hands on some you know um so also like thanks to the advent of social media I found uh, a flyer I think Derek Katzenbach shared it that he was like hey uh you know share the flyer for Maine Museum opportunity for makers to apply to make a piece for the museum and in doing that I applied really excited hope it fingers crossed that I get this thing and I did and I was very stoked for that whole week yeah I was like I was uh yeah, I was jumping around the house. I was like, this is my first. Because one of my goals of the next couple of years is like, you know, try to work my way into maybe getting a museum piece. Because I went up to the main museum and it's beautiful. And uh, and a lot of those pieces, Derek's name was on there. Also Sean Sweeney, it's awesome. Like I really, really enjoyed Sean's work. And uh, I love Derek's as well. So both of those pieces or both of those names, you see a lot in that museum. And I was like, I would love to have my name in here. That'd be really awesome. Yeah. Um, so hope, you know, goal achieved. That's really great.
0: Yes, definitely. Good for you. Big congrats. So <laughs> thanks. Thanks. You... That's
1: everybody that, that oh, got I know. chosen. Like, yeah. Super, super awesome.
0: I love learning about the process from the museum staff and how they went about having a board and choosing it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Super. Yeah. I'm very excited to meet everybody at the event. You know, uh, I, I, I've met uh, Maggie and that's, that's really it. So I'm excited to meet everybody and see, who all these faces are that that helped make this happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, when they were randomly selecting the gems, were you a little nervous?
1: Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. definitely. I mean, you never know what you, we didn't know what we were getting at all because they, we didn't have like a pre-site really into all the gems available. And we just, we just knew that we were getting a main piece. Um, so in doing that, you know, you see someone get selected, you're like, oh, I like that one a lot. And you're like, oh, I'm not so sure about that one. I'm glad I didn't get that one. But the, there's the one that I got, I'm very excited by it because bicolor tourmalines is like one of my first stones that I really started getting into what I really liked the color. Um, I had a bunch of Cruzeiro tourmalines, like Brazilian bicolor Cruzeiros when I was wire wrapping a lot. Um, so getting like a nice bicolor for Maine, which I really hadn't seen before like that. Um, I was really, really excited. And also on top of that, when I started, the flyers started coming out, uh, the stone that I uh, was given was also like the center of a lot of the flyers too. So I was like, I got to make this really really good cuz cuz everyone's been seeing this stone for the past year at this point. Right. So yeah, so I was really excited when when I got picked for the the bi-co- bicolor you know, fate, fate played in my favor at that Exactly. At
0: that, that That's good to hear. So walk us through the process of how you crafted your piece. Tell us about the challenges. Tell us about the positives. Tell us about the whole thing.
1: Well, the first thing really that I had to do, um, obviously after getting the stone was figure out a design. Right. And I, had the start of a piece, like looking at a blank white page pa- piece of paper can either be really exhilarating or really scary or both, especially for like a piece that you want to make to be the best thing that you could make. So I probably went through five to 10 different designs with the main tourmaline. Um, I just was kind of, I designed one thing and then I took a piece of that out without giving too much detail away. Cause I want to give too much detail away on the pieces, but um, you know, I, I had, I designed one, one idea. And then I took that out and I designed another idea and then maybe incorporated a couple of different pieces in and meshed several ideas together to get what the final product was. Um, I really wanted, I was really inspired by like Maine, the main state, like what is Maine known for, you know, is it, you know, it's known for tourmaline. It's known for, it's some lighthouses. It's known for blueberries. It's known for the moose. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a lot of staples of Maine when I think about it, I, I can think of. And obviously like traveling up to Maine you know, as a kid, like I have a lot of this nostalgia flooding back to me as I'm trying to create these pieces. So I was trying to make, create something both personal, but also like exuberant uh, that is a museum display. Uh, so it took me a little while to design it. Uh, once I have the design set in stone, um, I do uh, some CAD modeling for the piece, um, I, I did a little base out of wax just to see if this is kind of what I wanted to do, um, but I end up doing a CAD model of the piece, uh, I designed it both in uh, Shaper 3D and ZBrush. Uh, so I, I did the middle part in Shaper 3D, which uh, took me, you know, a day or two, depending on the piece. Um, and then I, I modeled uh, a second component of the piece uh, in ZBrush. I have a question. Should I be talking about uh, the exact components? Because this, uh, this will be re- being released before pieces come out, right? So I don't want to give too much away. Um, so I have, is that correct?
0: I mean, it's up to you. I think a lot of people have gone through like the in-depth process. So it's totally up to you. Um, even though they haven't launched the visuals yet, you know, pictures and such. Um, but to actually talk about it through audio, totally up to you if you want to share the details behind it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, so, so I designed the piece in Shaper and ZBrush, um, one component in Shaper and then the other in ZBrush. I did a lot of different test fittings for the piece um, to make sure the stone fit. Also, prior to that, I cut two tourmalines for the piece as well. Um, I had two Dunton Mine tourmalines from the 70s that were smaller, around one gram each. And then I uh, flat faceted and then fantasy cut the tourmalines. Um, One's like a really nice cranberry color and one's a nice minty color, kind of to go with that bicolor feel of of the piece so i cut two tourmalines that were from the dunton mine find as well so it matches the location of the original of the main one for the center gem and then from there uh modeled the piece in uh those two programs uh did a couple different test fits um the center we did in 14 karat white gold and then the other components, the side components we did in 18 karat yellow gold. And when I say me, I'm just saying me, but all the different versions of me that was creating this piece. <laughs> um, um, so with that, I was modeling the piece, testing the different fittings, making sure everything fit correctly. And then I sent out those prints for casting. Um, I work, I do all of my work in a one bedroom apartment. Like I don't have a big facility or a big studio. Um, I have really just what I need in a central space in my living room. The living room is big enough for for the thing. So it has some separation, but it's just everything that's done in my living room. So after I get the cast back, I do all the finishing work. So it has like print lines and different things like that that you want to get out. Um, so I grind all that off. I do all the finishing with just different files, uh, different sanding tools, um, different polishing wheels and, and whatnot with my hand hand tool. Um, and once I have it almost essentially to a final polish, it um, doesn't need to be finalized because I still have stone setting to do. Then I take it to my bench. I, I go under, I, I set everything in like jet set or um, or I tape it all up and I just, try not to mar too much of the edges with the tools of the vise. And then once I have it all set in the vise, I do all the the stone setting by hand. So I don't do like CAD beads or CAD um, settings for the stones. I just uh, lay out all of the possible stone settings um, by eye. I take my burr that I need for the stone size and just kind of start going at the metal and and create. The, the pave layout or the, the bead setting layout. Um, that I was That's what I was taught more recently at that new approach class. Um, before, I would really be very regimented in laying out my design and, and make sure everything's exactly two millimeters apart or make sure everything is very regimented, which I still do. But uh, more recently uh, in uh, that pave class, uh, he definitely, we call it rock and roll pave, where our teacher, Jason, he just kind of went in the ball burn. It was like, you know, the more you do this by eye, the more everything's gonna be even. I was like, all right, cool. So I've been doing that a lot more this past year, and just a lot of my pieces, and it's that rock and roll pave, just you, you know, you have an idea of exactly the stones that you want to lay out, and then you just take the ball burn, and you just start going at it. And it looks it, it came out really, really nice. Everything is uh, I don't know, it's my favorite piece, I think, that I've ever made. What I did for both the center and the back and the side pieces is uh, not only did, you know, it has a full pavé layout on the, the front end and um, the back end has all the azure, azure cuts. So azure cuts are, uh, azure I believe means open back in French. So it's just the back cutting that, that cuts out the back of the uh, stone seat. So it allows more light to come in through the back of the stone. So I did a full uh, diamond pavé. On the um, what I like to call like the wings or the antlers of the piece uh, to give a little insight, and then I have uh, with that diamond pave, all the back has the azure cut, so it lets a lot of really nice light cutting in. Um, all the azure cuts and all the bead cutting is brilliant uh, or bright cut rather, which means that it's all the cutting is done with a very polished. Graving tool to allow a bright rim or bright edge for all of the cutting that you're doing. Um, Because if you cut uh, your metal with a polished tool, then it will create a polished cut. Um, So yeah, that that those those were I guess the different components. Um, So I started with really the design and going through a lot of different ideas. Um, I cut two gemstones for the piece after I designed the idea because that fit within the design, and then I modeled the piece got them cast, did some finishing work on the pieces, set all the stones, um, did some bezel setting around the two stones, some really nice heavy double prongs around the center, did a full pave layout out of diamonds, uh, both in the white gold and in the, the 18 karat yellow, um, and also did a bunch of Azure cuts in the back. Um, I was planning on making a chain, but it was going a little over budget. And then uh, I did like a Viking knit chain, But I, I, in doing that, I don't think I had enough wire calculated. Uh, so I ended up getting a chain, um, and I made some S hooks and they, they all loop well within the piece.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to see this. I have not seen a visual of it yet. So I can't wait to see it. I think I'll definitely be seeing that in person on October 8th. And I cannot wait. I know Maggie has been expressing all the pieces been beautiful, but this one in particular sounds very interesting. So congrats to you on finishing that piece up. I'm sure it was a big relief when you got that out the door.
1: Oh, definitely. I I probably uh, spent about 150 hours or so on the piece. And was, I was really excited to do it, uh, you know, whatever, whatever budget we had for the piece that all went into like the material costs, and I just really wanted to make uh, the best thing that I could make for the museum just because I've been so inspired, not only by the museum just but by New England in general throughout my life so I just feel like I really wanted to bring uh, the best thing I could to the table. So yeah. hope I did that. Hope I did. Yes,
0: that. I'm sure you did. And, you know, this is kind of great in leading with the closing question. I know you've referenced location as being a big inspiration. You mentioned New England. You've mentioned, you know, Massachusetts where you live and Maine. And, you know, I just wanted to ask, you know, why, why Massachusetts? Like why New England? Why continue to build your business in that location? And has that, you know, location helped with your, you know your craft is it the network is it you know I don't know just walk me through that. <laughs> so
1: I think I think now with the advent of like all my stuff really sells on Facebook and Instagram and social media and stuff like that. And as much as I do have in person clients and people that I've met throughout the past ten years that are people that I, you know, love and know in person, a lot of my business does come from online. So I think at this point in time, you can really be anywhere in the world and have a business as long as you have an internet connection, you know, and it doesn't really matter where you are as long as what you're creating speaks to people that is your audience. Um, But as far as, you know, New England, uh, it's just something I really enjoy. I've been here my whole life. I, I really, you know, I've traveled outside of my hometown. I live, used to live in a, like, middle of New Hampshire, moved to Salem, Mass for school. Um, I'll probably be moving up to Maine or something at some point just because I really enjoy that area. But as far as moving elsewhere, uh, all my friends or family are here. I've thought about it more recently. Um, I probably will. I have a little bit of interest is maybe moving out to Thailand or something at some point just because there's so many gemstones that go through there. Like I think it's like 80% of the world's gemstones travel through Thailand or something like that. So that would be of interest to me. I definitely have to go out there a little bit, um, but I want to, I want to build my central location in new England and then uh, possibly have maybe another house somewhere else that I could travel to and stuff. Cause I do like to travel. Um, I'm going to Denver actually uh, this weekend for the Denver gem show at the end, the end of the Denver show, it's going to Art Basel this, uh, this December for spectrum show in Miami. And then I'll be in Tucson in February. So, you know, as much as I do love New England, traveling is definitely still a central feature in the more recent jewelry stuff because you you gotta still meet a lot of these people in, in person. You want to make those face to face connections um, because you know online's all just one thing. And you got to have the full scope of somebody when you uh, when you really want to work with them more closely. So, as much as I I love New England, um, I'll be here for a long time. But I also will be traveling to other places and maybe have a house house uh, in another country or something one day because I would love that. I think that'd be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, good for you. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story and just what your style is and trying to define that. I know that was very challenging, but then also telling us about the That's definitely piece a big too. challenge. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It's, and you know, it's, I asked that with everybody that's a part of this project and it was very hard for them to answer. So you're not the only one. Um, yeah, that's
1: funny.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, I'm really excited to see this piece um, at the event on October 8th. So I know you said you're going to be there. I look forward to meeting you as well. Um, and thank mm-hmm. you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, um, there's just so much that goes into the jewelry world, and as there's so much love and passion and stress and things that you know makes up everyone and everyone's human. So it's, it's it was really nice to be able to describe how this project was done, and I hope that people are inspired by the process and the pieces that you see at the main. Uh, event I hope to see everybody there I'm really excited for the October 8th event Um, I'm actually going to be traveling there with Matt Tuggle and uh, Matthew Fisher as well um, because they're flying into Boston so I'm going to come pick them up and then we're all going to travel there together so it's really nice to also be able to make these connections and, and hang out with all these people and I hope to see everyone there
0: That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that the community, you guys are just so tight knit. That's great that you'll be uh, traveling up with the, with the mats, the mats of the group. Yeah, with the mats, (laughs) with the mats.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's really funny. Um, But no, it's, It'll be a lot of fun, and I'm sure they brought some really, really cool stuff to the table because they're they're both fantastic artists. As with everybody on on uh, the Big Twelve find list, uh, Derek's fantastic, and has been a bit big inspiration of mine as well. And uh, more recently, seeing like Paul and Naomi's work, uh, AGTA and stuff, it was it was really cool to see. Um, so yeah, I really, I really am excited to see everybody's pieces, excited to meet everybody and, um, yeah, let's go October 8th. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm excited to reveal the piece. I want to show I everybody. I know.
0: It. I can't wait <laughs> to see it too. Thank you so much again. And I look forward to meeting you. Thank you for tuning in to the Makers of the USA main series. And thank you to Stephen for being on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about his craft and see his lovely pieces, I will link his website and social media handles in the notes section of the podcast. Also, if you'd like to attend the October 8th Big Reveal event, I will link the registration website in the notes section as well. Also, please follow the Makers of the USA on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to see visuals of these wonderful makers that are a part of this series. If you have enjoyed this podcast series thus far, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook. Thank you all again and stay safe and healthy.